Uhuru, you're listening to Reparations in Action here on Black Power 96.3 WBPU-FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. Reparations in Action is the weekly program of white people who stand in solidarity with African liberation and white people's reparations to African or black people. My name is Jamie Simpson, your host, and I'd like to begin by thanking this radio station, Black Power 96.3 WBPU-FM, for allowing us to have this show every Tuesday at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. And we'd also like to thank the African People's Education and Defense Fund, the nonprofit that uh, sponsors Black Power 96, whose mission is to address the grave disparities in economic development, health, education, and healthcare faced by the African community. We'd like to thank and salute the chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, the African Socialist International, and the founder and leader of the Uhuru Movement, Chairman Omalia Shatella, for having uh, founded the African People's Socialist Party and the theory of African internationalism, which guides all of the work of the Uhuru Movement. And we'd also like to salute the African People's Solidarity Committee, the cadre organization of white people in solidarity with African liberation and reparations, the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. And we'd like to begin this show by acknowledging that we do this show on a black community radio station, speaking to white people, hoping that as many white people as possible will hear this message and know that if you stand in solidarity with the African liberation movement, there is a role for you in this movement if you can stand for reparations to African people. Today's show is very important. We have some incredible guests. Chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee, Penny Hess, joins us for a discussion of the disproportionate effect that the uh, colonial virus COVID-19 is having on the black community, along with chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement, Jesse Neville. And in the second half of the show, we discuss the lynching murder of Ahmad Arbery in uh, Brunswick, Georgia, with Kobina Bantashango, the Southern Regional Representative of the African People's Socialist Party. Stay tuned for today's episode of Reparations in Action. Now let's turn to our weekly news summation, news through the eyes of the African community. The news continues to be dominated by the COVID-19 pandemic as world cases surpass four, uh, four million and world deaths surpass a quarter of a million with over 283,000 as of today. And uh, we are fast approaching the mark of 80,000 deaths inside the US where there are over 1.3 million cases. We turn now to Chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee, Penny Hess. Greetings and I really thank you. It's great to see you, Jamie, and also Jesse. Really great to be here today on Black Power 96.3 FM and wanna salute the radio station for letting us come on. And you know, it's really clear that the main question, we're gonna talk about a couple of articles here, but the main question in this period is that COVID-19 is targeting African people. And that this is playing out both on the health level, also on the police level, as we've seen with the police murders and the demonstrations even that people have come out to in this past period, but also in the treatment of Africans when they go into the hospital. So um, in the Washington Post on May 7th had an article that said, and let me pull it up here, um, that the headline is, disproportionately black counties account for over half of coronavirus cases in the US and nearly 60% of deaths study finds. And it quotes, uh, it begins, black people make up, I don't know why they say, by the way, disproportionate, I yeah. would say um, a large share of the population and 22% of US counties and those localities count for more than half of coronavirus cases and nearly 60% of deaths, a national study by an AIDS research group found. So that is very clear. And there have been many other things that have come out in the past few weeks, but this is a coordinated US-wide study, and that's why it's very, very important to see 60% 
mm. are in African communities and African counties. Also, we can look at the situation in Britain through an article that was in the UK Guardian that says that uh, this was published on May 7th, again by the UK Guardian, Black people four times more likely to die from COVID-19 ONS fines. And it's saying that the figures are the first official snapshot of the way that COVID-19 has affected different, quote, ethnic groups in England and Wales. And it goes on to say that Black people are more than four times more likely to die from COVID-19 than white people, according to stark official figures exposing a dramatic divergence in the impact of the coronavirus pandemic in England and Wales. The Office of National Statistics of Britain found that the difference in the virus's impact was not only caused by pre-existing differences in communities' wealth, health, education, and living arrangements, it discovered that after taking into account age, measures of self-reported health and disability, and other socio-demographic characteristics, Black people were still almost twice as likely as white people to die a COVID-19 related death. And that is really, really critical to say that, you know, this whole myth that this is just underlying conditions, quote unquote. Um, this is much deeper than that. This is the question of colonialism and this is why the African People's Socialist Party calls this the colonial virus. And one more thing that was in the New York Times this morning that's beginning to, to raise some of those questions of bias in COVID-19 treatment add to the mourning for Black families. And just want to get, you have to go way down into this article, but it's saying significantly the report added, these differences are associated with greater mortality among African-American patients. A pilot study by Rubik's Life Sciences, the biotech research form, firm, compared the severity of COVID-19 symptoms exhibited by more than 27,000 patients during hospital visits in seven states with the treatment they received. The study, which they're saying is not, quote, peer-reviewed, shows that Black patients were six times less likely to get treatment or testing than white patients, said Reginald Swift, the founder of Rubik's. Mm. So clearly we are talking about an illness, a situation that targets the African community, whether it's inside the borders of the United States or whether it is in Britain and the UK, this is the colonial virus. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Chairwoman Penny, that, that last article that you're referencing was just heartbreaking to read. And it really does get more and more um, stark towards the end when they start to tell some of the anecdotal stories of mm -hmm. people who died yeah. from this after being turned away from hospitals, yeah. from doctor's offices, even though they had extremely high fevers, they had problems dying. There were at least mm -hmm. three African men, if I'm not mistaken, in that yes. article that were described dying at home, knowing that something was going on, doing everything in their power to get mm -hmm. help. And they I were know. sent home to die. And I, I believe the article ends describing how the, the, the one African man was found dead and they yeah. had him buried. And as they were going out for the funeral, they get a call offering to finally test him for COVID-19. Mm, it's so outrageous. Yeah. And I think that one of the points, just to say really quickly, is that it also shows African middle-class men, mostly, in that article. When you look at the African working class, you know that this is across the board. So we're going to talk about that a little bit more. So Jamie? Fantastic. Thank you so much for that, Chairman Penny Hess. Um, I think it's so important to also note that we have seen over the past few weeks um, a nurse, a nurse practitioner, and a doctor who have all been persecuted for raising the extent to which uh, African people are being deliberately murdered, allowed to die, 
in, in the thousands in the hospitals of New York. So uh, first of all, we want to turn to a UK Daily Mail article that uh, describes this. And I encourage anyone listening to look up more information on this question because they are doing their best to suppress it. Um, this is from the UK Daily Mail, April 30th, 2020, exclusive quote, it's a horror movie. Nurse working on a coronavirus frontline in New York claims the city is murdering COVID-19 patients by putting them on ventilators and causing trauma to the lungs. And we're gonna be talking more about this question of uh, summing up the utility of the ventilators what the purpose of them is. Mm -hmm. um, this is this is going back to the article. A frontline nurse working in New York on coronavirus patients claims the city is killing sufferers by putting them on ventilators. Quote, it's a horror movie, she said through a friend, not because of the disease, but the way it is being handled. And she said relatives of the sick need to make it clear as soon as a person is taken to the hospital that they do not want them hooked up to the breathing machines. The nurse, who has relocated to New York temporarily to help with the city's COVID-19 crisis, persuaded a friend, a nurse practitioner, who is not working on coronavirus patients, to make the video for her in order to tell the world what she says is happening inside the hospitals. Quote, I am her voice here. I'm going to tell you what she has told me, end quote, said the nurse practitioner, who was identified only as Sarah N.P. Quote, she wants to get this out. She has never seen so much neglect. No one cares. They are cold and they don't care anymore. It's the blind leading the blind. <clears throat> Nurse claims COVID-19 patients are being murdered in New York hospitals. So this, uh, this is a very powerful video. And if, if you can find, it's, it is accompanied by a, uh, another video of the nurse to whom she's referring in the video. You can actually see her in the hospital. And we're going to go to that momentarily. But uh, I, I did want to read more from, from this article that more than 12,000 people have died from the virus in New York City at the time that this article was written, with another 4,300 dying in other parts of the Empire State, which is far, a far larger number than any other state in the, in the country. Quote, people are sick, but they don't have to stay sick. They are killing them. They are not helping them, added the friend in the video posted on YouTube. Quote, she used the word murder. That coming, that coming from a nurse who went to New York City expecting to help. Well, patients are left to rot and die. Her words, people are being murdered and no one cares. Sarah would not reveal which hospital the nurse is working in, quote, for the safety of those involved. More than 12,000 people have died from the virus in New York City. So th th that was at, at the time of yeah. the, the printing of this article. It's, it's unfortunately a much higher number now. And um, the other uh, news item that we wanted to relay was a Dr. Cameron Kyle Seidel has made a few videos that are incredibly informative about the nature of this disease. I want to repeat his name. It's Dr. Cameron Kyle Seidel. And if I understand correctly, this physician has uh, been at least removed from uh, the coronavirus centers where he was working in New York because he raised the alarm that the ventilators that they're pe uh, putting people on are um, being widely misused, being overused, and that the typical CPAP machines, which uh, the nurse spoke of, Nurse Sarah, as well as um, the nurse on the actual job at the hospital, Nurse Nicole uh, Syrotech, that these ventilators are being used uh, prematurely, preemptively, as soon as uh, certain criteria are met. But what this Dr. Cameron Kyle Seidel has been pointing out is that the coronavirus is something that medical experts have never seen before. It operates in a way that defies all of the conventional medical understanding of how a person's oxygen levels plummet and what the medical response to that should be. So what you'll hear, doctor, and again, I'm not a doctor. I'm trying to relay this medical information that is available in a couple of YouTube videos that are still up if you can find them. And what Dr. Cameron Kyle Seidel is saying is that this uh, disease, this coronavirus, attacks the body in such a way that they're having people come in with oxygen levels so low that the conventional medical wisdom says that they shouldn't even be able to function, yet they're talking. They claim that they feel fine and they're on the verge of death. And the other part of that, what he's explaining is that given the fact that this 
condition changes so rapidly that they're seeing patients come in um, with no fever, and then suddenly the fever will spike with regular blood saturation, and suddenly the blood saturation will plummet, and then it will go back up to close to normal, that pa many patients are responding more positively to things like just oxygen in through the mouth and uh, lying the patient prone instead of um, subheimer, lying them on their belly rather than on their back. And doing this has saved people, whereas the rate of survival on ventilators is incredibly low. Now, the reason that uh, it seems Dr. Cameron Kyle Seidel is so avidly raising the alarms about this is that this is not new information. This is information that we knew from the reports coming out of China, from the reports coming out of Italy, that the move directly to ventilators was a deadly move for most patients and that they needed to use other methods. And um, what, it is not clear that that advice coming from people who have experienced the coronavirus and the death that it can inflict on communities has been heeded. So um, keep up with Dr. Cameron Kyle Seidel and also check out the nurse about whom nurse uh, practitioner Sarah was talking about. Again, it is Nurse Nicole. Nurse Nicole's uh, report is directly out of a hospital in New York City. And what Nicole Sirotek, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correct, but it's Nicole, and the last name is S-I-R-O-T-E-K. Her video on YouTube is absolutely raw, absolutely human in how she describes this as exactly what it is, which is genocide. She, uh, as, as many white people do, her only uh, point of reference, her big point of reference for this is the Nazi Holocaust against the Jews. She compares what is happening to African and in her words, Hispanic people in these hospitals as similar to what happened to Jewish people under Nazi Germany when they were throwing them into the ovens and says that far too many of her colleagues are simply going along with this and allowing people to die through neglect, through mismanagement of medical devices, through all kinds of errors that even for this colonial medical system seem abnormal, even to a white RN. So th this, this is the, the news that we're getting from the medical professionals who are on the front lines of this colonial pandemic. Uhuru. Um, I, I think this is a really, really important conversation that we're having here. Um, and um, I wanted to, kind of bring into this discussion uh, some of the, the, the discussion that's going on out there in the world about this virus and, um, and particularly this, this uh, idea that has started to go viral and which has really been there from the beginning, but is really starting to pick up steam, especially as the um, restrictions and are being eased and some of the lockdowns are being uh, you know, um, undone that the pandemic is a hoax. This is an, an idea that we're seeing out there. Um, before we get to that, I just wanted to appreciate the, the way that the African People's Socialist Party, the Uhuru Movement, has defined this thing as a colonial virus from the very beginning. And I saw that um, New York State Assemblyman, Charles Barron, who had actually been infected with the colonial virus, and uh, thankfully he survived it and he's still fighting, he wrote an article uh, for the Amsterdam News where he quoted uh, Chairman Amalia Chatella calling it a colonial virus. And there have been you know, people as far as Russia who have taken to referring to it as the colonial virus. So this is an understanding that's like really spreading out there. And I think it's really important because like what you call this virus says a lot about how you understand it politically. Um, even COVID-19 is, or coronavirus, is a politicized way of describing it because as, uh, as you've pointed out previously on this show, Penny, the virus is actually SARS-CoV-2. They called it COVID-19 or coronavirus by their own admission because they didn't want to make people afraid that it was going to have the same impact as the SARS virus did. So that, that, even naming it that was politically informed. Then of course you have Donald Trump called it the China virus and the Chinese virus and all that kind mm. of stuff. That's a politically charged designation. Um, 
the only accurate, um, truthful, and politically informed characterization of this virus that makes sense is to call it a colonial virus. Mm -hmm. And because the essence of the virus, I mean, the, the doctors don't even understand everything about all of the symptoms of this virus. Like one day it's, it's these six symptoms are what you need to look out for. The next day you could have COVID toes, you know, things on your toes that show that you have uh, COVID-19. Um, or, you know, now there's all this news about these children dying in New York that have some mysterious illness. So there's really, there's a lot that is still yet to be uncovered about this virus. But obviously, the essential thing to know about this virus right now, as has been stated, is that it is targeting African and colonized people in this country. That's, that's the most important thing. And, and I, I've noticed that if you go on the New York Times or any other mainstream uh, bourgeois kind of media outlet or newspaper, the, there's usually like a big bold headline about something having to do with the virus or maybe the stock market or something like that. And then like way, way, way down, maybe you'll find a little thing that's about how, you know, black people are four times as likely to die in the UK or something like that. Like it's really a sidebar issue for them. And I really appreciate the Burning Spear newspaper for all of the coverage that it has given to uh, to all of the different ways that it has been exposed that this virus, if, if nothing else, if there's nothing else we can say for sure about this virus, the one thing we can say is that it's a colonial virus created as a bioweapon against, as a, as a weapon of genocide against Africans and the Chinese and the, and the colonized people. I mean, the indigenous people in this country are uh, facing another wave of genocide from this colonial virus. So let's talk about this whole idea that the pandemic is a hoax because there's videos going viral and one of the things that ever since I joined the Uhura movement you know I just you you stop looking at wor the world through the terms of debate that are set by the status quo because if you look at things through the lens of the status quo of like white power and imperialism you just, there's like two sides to an argument. There's like the so-called left and the so-called right or like the liberals and the conservatives. And you feel like you have to make a choice whether or not, you know, which side you agree with. But once you start to look at the world through the eyes of the African working class, both sides start to fall apart. Neither one really makes sense. And I'm really feeling that right now with all of the debate that I see raging about this, this pandemic. So we've got this video that's going viral and all these different people that are saying it's a hoax, white people literally protesting, uh, demanding that the economy is reopened, saying, you know, that, that it's even saying my body, my choice, okay? Like I have this, you know, I have the right to die if I want to. It's my body and I'll die if I want to. And, and you have people who are, uh, you know, what's referred to as like anti-vaxxers, people who are against vaccinations, who say that the United States created this virus in order to get everyone in this country infected so that everybody in this country will have to take a mandatory vaccine uh, created by Bill Gates that will include a microchip being planted inside of white people and that's what's being put out there. Um, and, and, you know, it's like, it's, it's unfortunate because at, like, at, at, obviously none of this is true, but like every good lie has a kernel of truth. And the real truth about biowarfare, vaccination, the colonial virus is being muddied by these theories that are being put out there. Um, like there was a Pew survey that surveyed almost 9,000 adults in this country asking whether they believed that the current strain of the coronavirus came about naturally or was developed intentionally in a lab, was made accidentally in a lab, or doesn't even really exist. 43% chose that it came about naturally. 23% said that the virus was made intentionally by humans. Another 6% said that it was created accidentally, and 1% said that the virus didn't exist. And um, of course, they weren't asked, if they said, well, do you think it was made by humans? That didn't say, do you think it was made by the US government? Um, but uh, meanwhile, a lot of white people are just flaunting 
in the face of this virus, just saying like, we don't have to wear masks. We're not, you know, this isn't serious. So the sunlight kills it anyway and blah, blah, blah. Because even though in some ways it's being covered up, on the other hand, it is becoming increasingly known that the people who are primarily dying from this are African people or people in nursing homes, including workers in nursing homes who are largely African workers. So like in Georgia, where the, the governor of Georgia, uh, who's a white nationalist, obviously, um, called for you know getting everything back up and running, many Africans in Georgia raised the alarm and said, this guy is just trying to kill us off. He, he's been seeing the statistics. He's been seeing that it's mainly Africans dying. So now he's just rushing to get everything back up, back, you know, business back up and running so he can kill off Africans and, and keep things going for, for himself and for white power. So anyway, I would just like to kind of talk about that a little bit because yeah. they, they say that, like, let's talk about this, this idea of conspiracy theory mm -hmm. because like on the one hand, there are conspiracy theories that these sort of like anti-vaxxers and people are putting forward that actually obscures the real conspiracy that is taking place, which a conspiracy just being a collaboration between a group of people to do something, which is just US imperialism. It doesn't require some secretive cabal, you know, mm -hmm. of, of like, you know, different, whatever, Illuminati or something like that for this to be believable. It's, it's, just, right. it's just US imperialism. You don't have to come up with a conspiracy theory. In so many ways, these conspiracy theories actually cover for the real enemy of humanity, which is the white ruling class. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, I I just uh, I just think this is this is really important because yeah, first of all, the conspiracy theory that we hear is used the, the the whole term conspiracy theory is used by the mainstream media and the U.S. government yeah um, overall to to quash any struggle yeah. or even issues and questions that people might raise about how this is being dealt with, where it came from, et cetera. And the problem with conspiracy theories is number one, they generally totally underestimate what the US government actually does. Right. And number two, they, um, you know, they, they totally cover over that it's not a conspiracy. The US, this is part of what the US does all the time. This is how the U.S. was built. And they're trying to, um, you know, a lot of times focus what the U.S. Is, is, might be doing to Africans and saying that they're doing it to white people. Yeah. And, and the fact is that it's like Chairman O'Malley Chantella raises that uh, white people can be, you know, fearful of fascism when the, some of the conditions of colonialism that are applied to African and oppressed people every day start to be applied to white people. Mm -hmm. But when all the, all the other time, the normal time, the norm, yeah. when um, these things are happening and Africans are being gunned down in the streets and, and mass roundups and put into mass incarceration and huge prison camps, um, nothing is said about that. Nothing is said about that and the conditions that... Um, African people are experiencing. That's why we're taking articles from the mainstream media to say this is what your conclusion has to be when you put all of these articles together. This targets Africans. And it targets Africans not because of racism, but because there is a political and economic domination of African people in this country and around the world, and that is called colonialism. And I just would say, really briefly that it also that the fact that this would be a bioweapon why is that so shocking yeah. i just read a book mm -hmm. called poisoner in chief about sydney gottlieb and what the cia was doing that was you know he was the poisoner in chief and that was his job was among other things to create poisons to create chemical warfare um also drugs as warfare, but in, you know, in a very, very particular way, 
to create weaponized viruses and bacteria to um, target oppressed and colonized populations. It's on record. It's yeah. on record. It's what a system built on an assault on Africa, turning the entire continent of people into, into um, commodities for sale and going to you know, the Americas and having popular genocide towards the indigenous people, which you know, we know is recorded history. Any, any system that would do that and is built on that would use, turn a virus into a weapon of war. Mm -hmm. Of course they did. And of course it began with, or I don't know if it began with, but one of the early, early examples was giving indigenous people smallpox infested blankets. That was bio warfare. That was a perfect example of committing genocide against that. And so, you know, just to sum up, I mean, African people in this country have faced the Tuskegee experiments where African people were given syphilis and then quote unquote treated, actually experimented on by white doctors for I think it was 30, maybe 40 years affecting a huge percentage of the, of the African community around Tuskegee, Alabama, and never told about that. You know, we know Fort Detrick in Maryland, Frederick, Maryland, is known for bio-warfare. That's what it does. You can look that up on Wikipedia and see that that is there. And, you know, there's so, there's so much. There's so much to say. And we, in fact, I think we've talked about it on this show before, that bio-warfare is one of the methods of warfare used by the U.S. Why would it be more shocking and some kind of, you know, scary conspiracy compared to dropping the atom bomb yes. on Japan? Why would it, you know, this is, exactly. if they do that, what, you know, if they bomb and kill and, and do everything possible to keep the African community oppressed here and in Africa and and wage war that is actually counterinsurgency against oppressed and colonized peoples in Iraq, Afghanistan, the Palestinians, Libya, Syria, where not, you know, everywhere the U.S. does that. If they would do that, of course, they will create and weaponize viruses for the use of murder. And so I just think that this is, you know, one to take it out of the covers. This is yeah. documented. This is what the U.S. does. And this is targeting colonized people. And that's why white people are free to go to the beach and do all that. I go to the park. No, no, people have their kids. White people have their kids out there. They have no masks on because they, you know, they sit on the pedestal. They're like, it's not going to affect me. And right. meanwhile, in another part of town, just a couple miles away, African people are dying every day with this mm -hmm virus that targets them and and that combined with the conditions of colonialism makes it incredibly lethal for the african community yeah i i really agree with that and i think i really appreciate what you said that it vastly underestimates conspiracy theories vastly underestimate and like yeah we're supposed to it's supposed to be so like whoa that you know the idea that there would be uh a deliberate plot by the US government to kill people. Like that's some, something out of character and right. must, must be explained by the government having been hijacked by some conspiracy of right. sinister <laughs> figures. That's the other thing about most of these. And I, I just wanna agree also with the point that like most of the time when you hear conspiracy theory, when you hear somebody go, that's a conspiracy theory, because I'm sure the three of us on this call have been accused of promoting conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. I mean, of course, anything that, that criticizes imperialism and tries mm -hmm. to expose the, the hand of imperialism behind all of the death and destruction on the planet Earth uh, is gonna be labeled a conspiracy theory, especially when it has to do with African people. Um, they refer to uh, the whole, well-known, well-documented reality that the CIA was involved in trafficking crack cocaine into the United States mm -hmm. as a conspiracy theory. 
So that's right. yeah. obviously um, that's one thing to say about it. And then on the other hand, a lot of the, the, the actual conspiracy theories that we're seeing out there, um, in addition to all the reasons that have been stated, they really, these conspiracy theories are really based on the assumption that the United States government at its heart is good. And, yeah. and then, mm -hmm. like the true ideals of this country have been taken away, have been lost because of this conspiracy, you know, the deep state or whatever that has, um, that has taken over and that, you know, that we have to quote unquote take back our country. So it's actually a really patriotic worldview that underlies a lot of these conspiracy yeah. theories. And like you said, a country that would drop the atom bomb, a country that would drop C4 on the black community in Philadelphia in its own borders mm -hmm. would obviously be capable of doing all of these things. So and so much more and, and so much more. Yeah. this is why we owe reparations to african people that's why people should go to hurusolidarity.org and check it out and we're taking on a struggle against the money sector the white ruling class we're going to kick the ass of the ruling class and win reparations massive reparations to african people excellent this has been a fantastic discussion chairwoman penny hess Jesse Neville, chair of the Uhura Solidarity Movement. Thank you so much. Let's leave it there for this week, and we'll see you next week on Reparations in Action. On February 23rd, Ahmad Arbery was jogging, as he did often, near the Brunswick, Georgia neighborhood where he lived. A disturbing video leaked that graphically shows two white men in a pickup truck cutting off Arbery in the middle of the road. The two white men are a former cop and DA investigator named Gregory McMichael, and his 34-year-old son, Travis McMichael. While Travis McMichael intercepts Ahmad Aubrey, we can see that Travis is brandishing a shotgun. As Ahmad tries to push the gun out of his face, we see Gregory McMichael shoot Ahmad from the truck, with, from the truck bed with a handgun. At this point, McMichaels and Aubrey briefly exit screen left. We hear another gunshot off screen and then see Ahmad Aubrey stumble past Travis McMichael, who fires the shotgun directly into Ahmad's abdomen. Arbery still pushes the barrel out of his way and attempts to run past Travis before falling to the ground. Ahmad Arbery was pronounced dead at 1.34 p.m. February 23, 2020. On May 8th of this year, he would have been 26 years old. For over two months after this heinous lynching, there was no arrest even though the local police allegedly attempted to arrest both Gregory and Travis McMichael. The district attorney, Jackie Johnson, had worked with Gregory McMichael for over 20 years in her office as an investigator, and she shut down the arrest. Johnson recused herself, and later George Barnhill, after trying to slander Arbery, claimed that he as well couldn't make an arrest, because he saw that what the McMichaels did to Arbery was a citizen's arrest, according to this district attorney, uh, Barnhill, George Barnhill. Uh, Barnhill recused himself as well, officially, because his son works in Jackie Johnson's district attorney office. The case is now in the hands, most recently, of district attorney Tom Durden. The video is very difficult to watch. We should warn listeners and uh, the, to the Arbery family and to anyone who is concerned with social justice for African people, it was an outrage, this video. And the outrage stirred by the video is what led to the arrest of both the McMichaels, according to the family attorney of uh, the Arbery's. The McMichaels were arrested on May 9th and are being held without bond. Durden had, a, the DA currently in charge of it, had currently scheduled a grand jury for the McMichaels uh, to happen June 12th, which would have been an entire four months after the murder of this young man. But as we understand it now, it is going to go to a standard uh, jury trial. So to sum up this obvious lynching of an African person here on Reparations in Action, we are very honored today to welcome to our show, uh, Kobina Bantashango, he is the Southern Regional Representative of the African People's Socialist Party. Uhuru and welcome, Kobina. We appreciate you making time to be with us here today. Uhuru, yeah, and I, I, uh, I appreciate uh, this interview and appreciate the opportunity to represent the African People's Socialist Party 
of the Southern region in, in this uh, in this interview, Uhuru. And, and we appreciate your presence and all, all the work that the African People's Socialist Party has done. Now, um, the, the African People's Socialist Party has described this lynching as a symptom of colonialism, not racism. That this is an expression of a colonial system of oppression, not hatred or even white nationalism. Could you elaborate on why the party understands this to be colonialism, understands colonialism to be the cause, even as we see white nationalism and racism becoming ever more overt in the past decade? Well, I mean, the reality is, uh, and like the chairman, Chairman O'Malley is to tell her who's the leader and founder of the Uhuru movement and chairman of the African People's Socialist Party, uh, as he developed African internationalism it, it helps turn the world right side up you know and when you when you talk about you know racism that's just ideas and thoughts that's in white people's head and you know the issue is not what's in their head the issue is when they have the power to execute what's in their head like every individual person knows somebody that don't like them but mm -hmm. on average probably 99.9 percent .9 of the people you know don't care you know what i'm saying that somebody don't like them the contradiction is when that person that don't like you has the power to prevent you from being able to live or bring harm to you with with no uh with no uh, ramifications for it mm -hmm. you know so racism is like i said just something that's in somebody's head so we're not trying to correct what's in white people's head the contradiction is that we want power because if we have uh, black power, we don't have to be concerned with what white people think, you know what I'm saying? Because we have the power to prevent them from doing anything, uh, uh, to doing anything from taking our resources, to murdering our children. And if any, uh, they brought any harm to the African nation, that we would have the uh, necessary power to bring justice to that situation. So uh, we're not concerned with, you know, what's in white people's head. We're concerned with uh, having power and the necessary power for us to uh, forge a future for the African nation and uh, prevent anybody from uh, interrupting that, that, that future. Uhuru. Wow, Uhuru, thank, thank you for that, that response. It's so comprehensive to to approach it that way and in in uh as reparations in action as as a show uh, you know that the her solidarity movements chair is is a frequent guest on we we understand that lynching is not an unusual thing in america we just just last week we were talking about the uh the rosewood lynchings we we, we know what happened in tulsa oklahoma and those just even for that period are just a couple of the many examples of, of white vigilante mob justice, mob, mob violence, mob outrageous violence and uh, torture of African people. Um, so, and, but we also understand that currently, whether it's uh, George Zimmerman gunning down Trayvon Martin or uh, a, a cop in, in Ferguson, uh, Missouri, uh, killing Mike Brown, that this happens all the time to African people. This happens routinely in this country. And you're based in Huntsville, Alabama if I'm not mistaken. Can you speak to any cases that are, that are similar to this recent lynching of Ahmaud Arbery? Yeah, I mean, like you said, this happens, this happens so frequently that, um, you know, what people are, are saying, and oftentimes people get outraged because it, it, it happens so frequently. And um, when it goes public, uh, people in other places, see that the same thing is happening to them, to their neighbors, to themselves. You know what I'm saying? And, and mm -hmm. so it happens all the time. I think there was a report done a few years ago where 5% of the police forces uh, discussed, you know, uh, or put out a report, uh, and it's 5% of the police forces in, throughout the U.S. that every, something like every 24 to 28 hours, they kill, uh, uh, you know, two Africans, you know what I'm saying? Uh, right. mm -hmm. And, and, and uh, right here in Huntsville, Alabama, you know, it's not the only time. And I, and I don't know if you recall a few years ago, and I think it was Texas, 
where uh, some white vigilantes, uh, 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 you know, drug uh, African uh, from their truck. You know what I'm saying? And 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 uh, dismantled him as they drug him through the through the dirt uh, road. You know, man, in right here in Huntsville, Alabama, uh, in in 2016, there was a white uh, bread delivery uh, bread delivery driver, a white vigilante, that uh, uh, chased and gunned down a 16-year-old on his way to school. Uh, Mustafa Belfield and Jonathan Scott uh, uh, chased uh, Mustafa Belfield as Mustafa ran for his life uh, and and shot then shot and started shooting at him and did not uh, stop shooting at him until he ran out of bullets. And one of the bullets hit him uh, directly in the back of the head and he died right there in the spot. And you can imagine, you know, that his mother having to get that type of phone call. And this is terrorism because not only yeah. does it affect uh, him, his mother, his family, it affects the whole community because the relationship that African people have to uh, the state to just uh, basic uh, uh, white people. You know, there was a mm -hmm. time uh, uh, in, in, in history not too long ago where uh, Emmett Till was dismantled and, and murdered uh, for, for allegedly whistling at a white woman. Not, not when we talk about uh, comparison, you talk about uh, Mustafa Belfield walking to school not, you know, doing anything to anybody, walking to school, and a white man was able to murder him, and initially, they didn't want to charge him with anything, but because of the work that we did, and the information that we put out, put out uh, posters of, uh, wanted posters of, of him, and, and, and the work that we did behind that, uh, they charged him with manslaughter, which is bogus, you know what I'm saying? That was cold-blooded murder, and he yeah. should have been charged with murder, and, and, and charged with you know, life in prison or the death sentence or something, but you don't kill the 16-year-old child who does not have the ability to, uh, you know, grow and develop. And so, uh, and you have uh, this history, you know, like I say, from uh, uh, Emmett Till to, you know, countless of other cases, uh, you know, uh, this is this has been the history of white people terrorizing the African community and being protected by the state. Right here yes. in, in, in 20, 30 minutes from Huntsville, uh, the, the Scottsboro boys happened, you know what I'm saying? Where uh, they was just on a train and two white ladies said that they did something to them and later they, they contracted their stories and said that they did not you know, but they uh, arrested them and, and a lot of them died in, in prison, you mm -hmm. know, for something that they did not do. So this is not, this is not, you know, uh, this is not a surprise, you know. Right. It's not a surprise that he was murdered on February 23rd and there was no arrest to the resistance came. Because even if you remember, you know, uh, you know, from, from Mike Brown, you know, mm -hmm. uh, there, was, there was no motion around anything until the people start to resist and, yes. and then they start you know talking about uh you know trying to have something and and this is why we need power we need the black grand jury we need the black mm -hmm. people's grand jury we need black power we need black community control of the police we need these things because they will kill you and then write a narrative to say that you was wrong for being killed yes you know, there's they will. no way there's no reason that uh, somebody walking, running in their mm -hmm. neighborhood, not mm -hmm. in, I mean, he in his neighborhood, it wouldn't even matter if he was walking in somebody else's neighborhood. That shouldn't have made a difference. But right. they'll, they'll send you on a wild goose chase to, to, to buy into their narrative and you start feeding into their narrative, you start asking questions that their narrative got potholes for you to answer. And no, it's, it's not, yeah. it's, a, it's a contingent, it's a, con, it's a consistent thing where uh, white people has had this relationship uh, in the African community, uh, from slave catchers, you mm -hmm. know, to uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, being able to capture Africans and 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 lock them up and trump charges on them, to uh, making something up, and then always saying, I mean, you got the basic narrative in any situation, in any of these cases, even with Tamir Rice, who was on a playground with a play gun, 
at 12 years old. And right. and they came and killed him and said that they threat they was they was they was in fear for their life. But somehow right. uh, a white boy can can go into a church and kill nine people and the police arrest him and take him to Burger King. Right. You know, so this this is this is problematic. And it's not an issue of of, of racism because it's not only the the and the people may be racist or not. That don't that don't even matter. You know, it, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter because um the, the question is colonialism because not only do the people that uh, murdered um, Ahmad Aubrey not only uh, are they guilty, but the state is also guilty for not uh, bringing justice to uh, to the Aubrey family after he was murdered. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So it's not, and and not and and not uh, and not even uh, not only not arresting them, but not and then trying to spin it. The same way they spend everything, they'll kill you and then start coming up with ways to justify how are you the criminal? How can you put right. a dead person on trial? You know right. what I'm saying? And and if if uh, we know that two white men, uh, Gregory McMichael and Travis McMichael, approached a, a, a young man in a neighborhood, walking, jogging with a gun. And mm -hmm. if you're walking up to somebody with a gun, you don't have any other intent but to murder them. But right. not only do you have the intent to murder them, you have the confidence that the state is going to protect you because he's African. That's colonialism. That's yes. a systemic uh, problem that has to be uprooted uh, from the bottom. It can't be, you know, trying to uh, appeal to somebody's morality because we have to remember that this same state is the state that enslaved African people. And mm -hmm. said that it was it was it was legal to enslave African people, and then even the way that they uh, uh, talk about uh, lynchings and how many lynchings uh, right now they created a lynching museum in, in in Montgomery, Alabama, and and they say that it was only a certain amount of lynchings, but they only started uh, doing the 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 count from like after slavery. You know what yeah. I'm saying? So they saying the legal lynchings didn't matter. You know what I'm saying? Because mm -hmm. it was legal, and so we we're not counting them. So the, the, the issue is we cannot allow them to write the narrative and criminalize the victim. You know what I'm saying? Yes. The real terrorist is uh, uh, Gregory and Travis McMichael. The real ter terrorist is the state, uh, 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 the DA. You know, the real uh, contradiction is colonialism. And if you overturn colonialism and you have black power, you will have social justice. Thank you for saying all of that, uh, Comrade Kavina. I think it's so important that our audience, especially white people listening to this, hear the truth that, that you're speaking, hear uh, the reality that white people in this country and, and throughout, throughout the world, because this is an international system, have had the power to just pick out an African person for assassination, for execution on the street, be judge, jury, and executioner. We see it over and over and over, and we see, we see the outrage, we see the, the protests that don't have any real demands, and it, it, it gets wearisome. People, I saw an interview with um, Ahmaud Aubrey's mother, and it was just heartbreaking because she was thrilled just that there was an arrest. She hadn't even expected there to ever be an arrest. So she was just happy that there was any acknowledgement that something had happened to her son. And when, when you see the, the, this video, it's so clear that this is a straight up lynching, that they hunted this young man down and they murdered him in the street. So you, you mentioned uh, the call for black community control of the police. In light of lynchings like this that we see uh, be tolerated, whether it's by the DA's uh, office or the white population in general, how is the call for black community control of police so relevant to the murder of Ahmaud Arbery? Yeah, and I'll say, you know, um, and I'm gonna answer that question, but I, I wanna also say that uh, oftentimes white people in general are guilty um, because they side with the state and they mm -hmm. side with the narrative uh, of justifying um, you know, murders like uh, Ahmad Aubrey, you know, and, and and when you have that narrative and, you know, the mother was was writing her anticipation of not uh, thinking that anything was going to happen, 
but the contradiction is if you buy into that narrative, if you're thinking nothing is going to happen and you buy into that narrative, you feel excited about, you know, even an arrest, not no guilty verdict, but an arrest, just something was done. And this is, this is, this is, this is uh, a contradiction. And, and you have uh, white people that would just automatically, you know, side with uh, the state and say, well, he must have been doing something wrong. These are two white men, uh, uh, two terrorists in the community harassing a young man walking and running and jogging in his own community. You know what I'm saying? There's it, nothing right about that, you know, to approach him with a gun and, and, and to try to figure out what he did wrong. You know, and, and you know what the two white boys did wrong. Off grip, you know what they did wrong. And 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 yet and still you go with the narrative that um that somehow, you know, uh Aubrey, uh Ahmad Aubrey did something wrong. He didn't do anything wrong. You know, uh there was nothing wrong that he did. Everything, every crime that was committed on uh February the twenty-third was committed, and in this situation was committed by Gregory and Travis uh Michael. To walk up so, with any anybody, you know, uh, with 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 weapons, you know, mm -hmm. is 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 a crime, and anybody would try to defend themselves in that situation. But the criminal and the terrorist is is is, is uh, Gregory and Travis, and this is why uh, we understand because the the colonialism is set up to protect the colonizer, not the colonized. So it's gonna it's gonna uh, make the colonized. Uh, make the colonize the victim. And it's not different from slavery because the reality is there was a time when uh, Africans that ran away from the slave masters, they was, that was illegal. It was illegal for an African to run away from the slave master or from the plantation. And it was legal, you know, for the slave master to capture him, kidnap him and bring him back and mutilate him or do whatever they wanted to do where they figured that was justifiable for you know, not wanting to be a slave. This is the this is the state and the government and the and the colonial system that we're discussing, and we have to have it in that context because if we don't, you know, you start getting shocked when it happened, even though it's been happening for 400, 500 years. You know, so we have to deal with the proper context to say this has been going on uh, since slavery, and it's the same context in in how they criminalized the African that was enslaved, and this is why <clears throat> we cannot put justice. Uh, or the, the just uh, the thought of any justice in the hands of the slave master. The African working class have to have control over justice, and and we have to have a process where where it it, it works in the best interest of the African working class. And so we need black community control of the police. We need to be able to have the power to hire and fire. Uh, the, the police that are in our community. We need to be able to have the power to govern ourselves. We need to be able to have the power to even say what does it look like and who can and cannot, <clears throat> uh, excuse me, who can and cannot police our community. You know, uh, and the people that are in our community that's gonna police our community need to be from the community. It don't need to be no foreign entity coming into our community with no interest or no stakes in the best interest of the community in which they serve. You know, so, uh, and we have to have the ability and, 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 and the power to say what is a just process. We have to have control of all that. We have to have power in our own hands. We have to have the power to have a, 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 a black uh, people's grand jury because, you know, Grand juries in general are useless, but you know we have to have the power to have a process where we can uh, conduct the court and and demand that they come to our court, for them to come to our court and stand trial amongst the people, not amongst each other, and they uh, uh, protect their the, uh, their own peers and their own interests in terms of uh, uh, colonialism. We have to say that uh, we have to have that type of power. Anything short of that will keep the colonial state intact and, uh, you know, be in a fight to make some moral type of stance, which, you know, this nation has wiped out a whole nation of people. Yeah. They have no morals when it comes to uh, mm -hmm. uh, killing people. You look at the Tuskegee experiment. You look at COVID-19 
and what's going on right now. To, to this day, people are getting evicted in the, in the midst of COVID-19. To this day, African people are being turned away because they don't have the, 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 the right insurance or they don't have any insurance. So they say, if you can't pay, then they're not going to give you that's necessary. So you've been turned away and this is increasing the deaths of African people uh, uh, right now. So they don't have no moral uh, compass and, and, and we shouldn't even be interested in trying to correct that moral compass. What we should be uh, fighting for is to have uh, a power in our own hands that whether they got their moral compass together or not, they won't have the ability to uh, attack or uh, take one more African life. Wow. Kobina Bantashango, Southern representative of the African People's Socialist Party. That was amazing. Thank you so much for joining us today on Reparations in Action. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Reparations in Action here on Black Power 96.3 WBPU-FM in St. Petersburg, Florida. I'd like to thank Chairwoman of the African People's Solidarity Committee, Penny Hess. I'd like to thank uh, Chair of the Uhura Solidarity Movement, Jesse Neville. And I'd also like to thank the African People's Socialist Party's Southern uh, Regional Representative, Kobina Bantashango, and uh, for joining us on the show today and uh, being such excellent guests. But I'd like to thank everyone who listened, and we'd like to thank the Black Power 96.3 radio station for allowing us to have this show. Thank you so much, and we'll talk to you next week.